I lost my voice <clears throat> at Ashland's basketball game last night, yesterday at one o'clock. And so, sometimes preachers need a sermon in their back pocket, so if it gets real bad, um, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's table, so we'll go to communion. Um, but let me pray, and I'll talk softly and quietly, and we'll do our best, right? Real quick, how many Carolina Panther fans? Denver, Denver Bronco fans. How many don't care? I want both teams to lose. Is that okay? Can that happen? So, Let me pray. Father, help me. Don't let my voice be a distraction, but show your word and show your son. And um, give us the grace, probably for a shorter time, to see Jesus as supreme and see, to see Jesus as your ultimate self-expression. So help me do that and um, do a mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen. Layla read our scripture, um, Hebrews 1, verse 1. Go ahead and put it up there, guys. Hebrews 1, 1. I'm not going to read it because I have few words. I'm going to point to a few things. The author is talking to the people of God about how God has chosen to speak to the Jewish people. Plain and simple. And he doesn't do the galaxy far, far away. He simply says, long ago, at many times, God spoke to the Jewish people by who? Isaiah. Abraham, Moses, can name some others. Verse 2, but in these last days, the author says, he has spoken to us by Jesus. The author of Hebrews is telling us there was a progressive revelation how God was speaking to people. And what does he say? We'll hit this, hopefully. In these last days. Verse 3, speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And I want you to see that second line. He is the exact imprint of God's nature, Jesus Christ. We know about the Trinity, the triune nature of God. God Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But what is being said here is Jesus Christ is God's supreme Self-description. Remember we saw through the Advent season, the law given to Moses and the prophets were like the moon and stars in the night sky. But Jesus Christ has come forth as the bright morning what? Sun. What happens to the moon and stars? They're not thrown away. They are fulfilled in the beauty of what? The sun. Jesus What am I getting at? I had more, but I, again, I have few words. The author of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul, and the rest of the writers of the New Testament make it plain and clear, saying this, Jesus Christ is the perfect icon of God. That's the word they use. The perfect image of God is Jesus Christ, and they're begging their writers not to go outside of him to think of God. Quickly. Jesus is God's exact image. 
Jesus is the perfect imprint of God's nature. Jesus is God's ultimate self-expression. Jesus is God fully disclosed. Jesus, described in the book of John, is the only perfect word of God. Jesus is ultimate theology, and Jesus is best theology. That's a weird word, right? Theology. Most of us normal churchgoers don't like that word. It's for me and others, right? How many of you have ever had a thought about God? Raise your hand. You have a theology. Theology literally means, way back when, how do we understand God? You, personally, not me. How do you understand God? And what I want to try and do for a few moments here, let me get a drink. Timmy, sound down. It'll be gross if you hear a swig. What I want to try and do is show how the Bible proclaims that Jesus Christ is the ultimate theology. And this is a setup because after Easter, we're going to go on about a 22-week journey in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at what Jesus said about the kingdom of God, about who he is, about issues like justice and marriage and divorce and anger and rage. Any of us can deal with that. Maybe. But this is a setup talking about Jesus. Like I said, we all have a theology. Your theology may be long and complex and sophisticated and well-versed and studied. Thumbs up, I guess, right? Your theology might be simple. Sometimes the problem with theological thought is we often, me included, go to extra biblical resources instead of the Bible. If theology in a nutshell is our pursuit of knowing and understanding God, this passage in scripture has a lot to say about where we should start and where we should what? End, Jesus Christ. To the Christian, Jesus Christ and his good news, the gospel, is the starting and finishing point of all theology. If anybody says differently, even from a pulpit, I will lovingly say, they, he or she, is wrong. I can create a theology from the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus that says, anyone who is unfaithful to their spouse should be stoned in the square. I can quote verses, I can be right biblically. You guys know that, right? Did I shock you guys? I can create a theology, biblically, where if anyone hurts me, the just punishment is to hurt them in the same manner. I can get there biblically. Mostly, again, from the book of Leviticus. Funny how that one book, right? But what I'm trying for us to see before the vocal cords go completely out Biblical principles and biblical theology, it's not a system, and it's not a choosing of verses, it's a life, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we have to see that. Otherwise, we can use the Bible to spew agenda and hate anywhere we want, but usually never at us, right? Because we're smarter than that. You see, Jesus met a woman caught in adultery. 
And according to the Mosaic law, she should have been killed on the spot. And there was a mob forming with Pharisees. And what did Jesus say? Nothing. He stooped low and he wrote in the ground. And who knows what he wrote? Because Christ has been revealed, but he is so mysterious as well. He wrote something profound because a lot of the old, how many of you are, don't say it, how many of you are wise? Many of the hair color tells us that you would have left first. And some of the young bucks, Josh, you would have left last, sorry, bro. We, not we anymore, but they would have left last because what he was writing was brilliant. And when all the accusers were gone, what did he say to the woman? Is there anybody left to what, condemn you? I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no what? More. So my point is Jesus alone is the perfect word of God. And if we don't see the law in Leviticus pointing to Jesus, we miss everything. And we have to see that with every page of the Bible. If we go anywhere in the Bible without Jesus, you're on a death mission. The Bible is Mount Everest. How many of you could climb Mount Everest today? Maybe one. Where's Farshad or John Fahm? Maybe two. But they wouldn't make it. They wouldn't make it. The point is, in this pursuit of God, the great Mount Everest, the great good and all-encompassing being who holds even this fragile voice together, we need a guide everywhere we go. Otherwise, we will be flat wrong, and our guide has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. And when he shows up and fixes ropes and says, come up to base camp, come up to camp one, come up to camp two, and when the storm comes, he goes, actually, stop, and it stops snowing. But all these things we see in Scripture, we get to travel on an amazing road to see the heart of God. Jesus is our guide wherever we go in the scriptures. There's a story. Ezra's coming back from Babylonian captivity and a lot has happened. It's been decades. And what happens when single Jewish men hang out with non-Jewish women for decades? They get married and have what? Families. Ezra and others come back and God tells them, I'm going to start again. Please go have all the men put their wives out and let's start again. And there's a lot in there. I don't have time to unpack it. If we go there without Jesus, we teach false doctrine and we teach bad theology. That's what I'm getting at. If we go there with Jesus, we say, for a time and season such as that in the Old Covenant, I can kind of understand. I can't personally, but I'm not God. So that's, but when we go there with Jesus, we say, no, we're not going to tell people and counsel people to get divorced because someone's skin looks different than theirs or they came from a different background because Jesus doesn't do that. This verse is unreal. These people were dealing with worshiping angels, and one of the reasons this writer is writing this is to say, let me show you how much greater Jesus is than any messenger of God. But what I want to focus on just for a minute is look at that phrase, the exact imprint of God's nature. How many of you have questions about God? I have questions about God. How many of you have questions about Old Testament stories where Joshua and other kings were being vengeful and killing people? I have questions about that. 
How many of you read scriptures and say, don't get angry, turn the other cheek? <laughs> I got questions about that too, but what I'm trying to get as is I don't want me or I don't want us to question anything about God without remembering Hebrews 1, 3 and thinking of Jesus. In one of the Advent sermons, I said, how much light will you let into your heart? Because Jesus is light. And I gave a, a little analogy of maybe in, uh, what's the, uh, it's not Guantanamo Bay, but what's the, uh, What's the place where we as a country hold people? Anybody? Is it Guantanamo Bay? Is that? Okay. Thank you, BJ and others. And one of the things I put forward is Jesus appears and light is there. And we as humans, even as Christians, have really the ability to say, how much light do I want? Gitmo, ISIS, Taliban, someone not of our ilk, chained to a floor and naked. Hasn't eaten in two weeks. Has been tortured. I'm just saying what happened. I'm not, there's no politicalization here. This is the truth. Jesus shows up in the room. Jesus shows up in our hearts. Regardless of what empires and what kingdoms say, we are mandated as human beings to seek at least the welfare of our fellow human. And again, I'm not getting political. I'm just saying this is what Jesus has taught us to do. And the good news for you and me is Jesus and how he treated people, God reveals him to be the exact nature of God the Father. I'm kind of scared of God the Father. Anybody with me? He scares me sometimes because I think he's angry at me. Because I think I haven't lived up to his standard. And because for so long and for so many ways, I read the Bible as a received the blood of Christ, you're forgiven, but walk that line. Otherwise, something might happen from the heavens and you might get whacked. I have some issues with my own father. I've met my biological father once. Not met, some of you know that. That affects the way I view God the Father, right? I had another man adopt me, which was amazing. Not a believer, but he was a good, and to the best of his ability. And that shaped my view of God the Father too. But what I want us to see from this scripture, everything God wanted to reveal about himself was revealed in Jesus Christ. And I want that to be the platform that as we go through the spring, seeing the greatest sermon ever preached, Lord knows it's not today because of this voice especially, we can see Jesus and we can see God walking amongst people. I hope this unifies us as a church and I hope this continues to put glue on this church merge and cement it so we can follow him and not even our own traditions or what we think we should do. Jesus Christ. The man, the life, and the death is, was, and is again exactly what God wanted to say to you. You. Jesus Christ, 
the man, the life, the death, and the resurrection is exactly God's ultimate expression for humanity to say, I love humanity. I'm on a mission to bring people home. I've stepped in for you. Receive forgiveness and mercy at the cross and come and pursue me through the example and the word of my son. Last example, so hopefully it'll sink in and we'll take communion. Around um, the, in the sixth or seventh century, there was a great crusade by Muslims and they did a lot in Northern Africa, Arabia and other places, and they destroyed a lot of churches and a lot of artwork. And the early church was notorious church fathers, study some church history, it's kind of interesting, for making icons and images that look like Jesus. And they were treasured and valued. And after this great crusade, if we want to call it, or destruction, or whatever you want to call it, in the year 787, isn't that our address? It's kind of funny. In the year 787, a council met of a bunch of churches, and they had a couple things to talk about. It was called the Seventh Ecumenical Council, year 787. And one of the main things they were trying to figure out as a global church, a bunch of believers, was what are we going to do about these icons, these little things? Some of them might have been influenced by the Muslim crusades, and some people were on the side, we'll put it this way, you guys were saying, no icons. Help me, because my voice, oh, one, two, three, no icons. One, two, three, no icons. And you guys were on this side said, you're crazy. One, two, three, you're crazy. That wasn't good, come on. One, two, three, you're crazy. So there was a big debate. You guys in this camp would support the Ten Commandments. There will be no grave in what? Images. Duh. And you guys were in support of that verse. Both of you have the Bible. What do we do? Everyone go, dun, dun, dun. One, two, three. Dun, dun, dun. Right? So these issues were coming up. After meeting and praying, and maybe fasting and meeting and praying, this council said, icons are not only good, pictures of Jesus, they are preferable, and our churches go forth with that decision. Big deal, right? The point I hope that illustration from history makes is we all decided as a council, icons of Jesus were okay because Hebrews 1.3 and a couple other spots in the New Testament said, God affirmed the icon of Jesus to come to humanity because Jesus Christ was all he ever was going to say to humanity. There's no more guessing is what I'm saying. We don't have to guess about God. Why were there no graven images in the Old Testament? Because people would have made images and they would have been what? Wrong about God. Even if they studied their little hearts out. Even if they were good. Even if they were diligent. Even if they were good Jewish men and women, they would have been wrong. But in the new covenant, the covenant of grace, this council and others said, Pictures of Jesus are okay because everything you see biblically about Jesus Christ and want to put out to the masses is right about who? God. That's the point. God has spoken. 
in these last days, and he's given us Jesus. Hopefully we go on a journey this spring. Hopefully we see more of this man, Jesus. Hopefully he impacts your life and heart and mind. Hopefully he impacts your finances and your education plans and your politics. I said it, and I won't say what, but I said it. Hopefully he impacts your families. And God be the glory, hopefully he impacts this community. Amen? I'm going to uh, ask the music team to come up. And Dave, would you help me? I don't really want to touch the elements. Can you come on up, Dave Ray? Yeah, sorry. I'm going to uh, lead communion by trying to speak. But Brother Dave here is going to, I'm going to ask him to uh, pass out the elements when the time's right. Is that okay? Let me pray and close the sermon. And then I'll speak quickly about how we'll take communion together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. And thank you for Jesus. Thank you for... Um, a scripture written long ago that lets us know and reveals to us that um, you have spoken finally and completely through the life of your son. As we seek to honor and worship you in a way now, with a way you've given us, be gracious to us in Jesus' name, amen.